God made man. Man makes machines. And then, the machines remake man. In this mini-series, we explore the ways in which our technology shapes our minds, our habits, and our hearts. What does our technology promise us? What does it cost us? What is it doing for us? What is it doing to us? And where do we go from here? Welcome to Man vs. Machine. All right, welcome back to another episode of Man vs. Machine, the final episode of Man vs. Machine. This is going to be a fun conversation, I think. Um, you know, we've come through a lot of material, both in the Book Nook series, uh, through Amusing Ourselves to Death, uh, Frankenstein, The Shallows by Nicholas Carr, and I personally had come to the conclusion that this whole podcast thing may be a bad deal. Like, we should probably just do an analog podcast. We should probably write Radio. handwritten letters <laughs> to one another. Radio. And okay. then disperse those throughout. Yeah. yeah. So, um, if you're tuning in, then maybe you already know, this episode is called May I Be Excused? And we have, each of us, in our own way, over the last month, subjected ourselves to a tech fast of some sort. And for each of us, that might have meant something different based on life stage and who's in the home with us and um, kind of the way you already engage with your tech. And so what I'd like to do is maybe just go around the room and let each of us start by describing the form of your tech fast. Kyle, you want to get us started? Yeah, I'll start. So uh, my wife actually consented to do this with me. So this was quite a quite an interesting process for the both of us, but we basically operated off of four rules. So uh, whenever we were at home, our phones stayed in their own home. So there's a little box on the counter in the kitchen where they would stay so they wouldn't ding and notify us all the time. Uh, We also said no TV after 10 o'clock on uh, weeknights, really, or weekends, uh, because we had no screen tech of any entertaining kind. So like I still used it for work and, you know, looking up things that we needed um but i never used any screen tech for entertainment monday through friday of any kind and then um i didn't do any tv of any kind on the weekdays but we let ourselves watch our you know couple hours of television on the week on the week weekends um but after 10 o'clock it was it was it was no go for that um so that was kind of our our tech fast kind of those four-ish rules nice yeah, I made a decision not to touch anything electronic. So vacuum cleaner, uh, dishwasher, smart. So I had Leslie just kind of help me out with this. And yeah, make oh sure she that's good. Well, that's noble. Yeah. So now I, uh, my uh, attempt was to st- uh, st- stop reading as much as I was on online. You know, because I, oh, yeah. I basically don't, I don't venture to a bunch of websites. I know this sounds really dumb, but just say transparency. I read uh, Fox News and I read Yahoo and I know Yahoo is a very liberal, uh, I don't even call it a news site. It's just a bunch of articles. And for what, why I even go to that, I think it's just because it's on my phone and I just, I will alternate between those two. And what I found was um, just, I mean, if you go back to our last conversation maybe we'll we'll get some of this later i I don't want to go too far into my conclusions but anyway my 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 attempt was to read uh stay away from from just feeling obligated 
in a sense, to just check that. Like, first thing in the morning, roll out of bed, you just want to, let me see what the headlines are, you know? Right. So I tried to avoid that as much as I could, and um, that was that was my take fast. And to be a little more busy in the evenings, just doing some other things that I wouldn't do instead of, you know, watching a TV show or something. Right. Yep. So Good. Cool. Trying, to, trying to break from habitual practice, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Cool. So uh, I maybe um, am in a weird situation in doing tech fast because I sort of live immersed in the technology world from about 6 a.m. every day until about so 5 p.m. every day. So did you just take day. a sabbatical? Well, it? yeah, I just took a va- I went on vacation. No, uh, actually, what I did is I, I did a couple of things, actually. Um, one is I turned off all notifications on all apps for both work and personal. So my phone wouldn't nudge me. My uh, email client wouldn't nudge me. I I was sort of free of these sort of nudges and pokes from technology so that my attention was my own. There was no, no, no one or no technology was competing for my attention. So if I was going to pay attention to something, it was because I chose to, not because um, uh, of anything else. And, and several evenings even... I turned off my phone and stuck it on the charger, you know, back in the bedroom and just from when I got off work until the rest of the, till next morning, I just didn't, I wasn't reachable. I, you know, I wasn't having my phone next to me mm-hmm. where I would might do something with it. Uh, but I also did almost the opposite of a text fast for about a week. I did an experiment on myself oh because my gosh. so, <laughs> so I'm not a, you know, I, when Twitter first came out in 2007 or whenever it was, I got a Twitter account and pretty quickly I figured out now, man, this seems like I've taken on a part-time job. I don't really have time for a part-time job. And so I just quit it. You know, I just like, I'm not doing this. No way. I, I just too much work. I mean, I don't want to just have to do the work I have to do. I, I don't, I don't want to have to report what I'm up to, you know, to anybody else. So I gave it up. Anyway, I decided, you know, it's a new, it's long time since it first started. It's become a thing. Elon just bought it. I decided, well, I'm going to go out and I'm going to use it for a week and see what that's like and see what kind of conclusions I draw and then, and then just stop, you know? And so I did that during, during my tech fast, which was a different, now here's what I didn't do. I don't. I didn't install any the Twitter app on my phone or anything. So, like that. so, so you ran in the exact opposite <clears throat> direction of the uh, from one week of our tech fast. I did the opposite. Well, that'll Which, be great. We'll, we'll we'll talk about the the findings of this thing in just a little bit. So, my own tech fast was um, kind of like Kyle's. I I had there was a TV element and then there was like a cell phone element. Uh, so my the, the TV element was past a certain point in the evening we shut off all screens in the house we you know had our phones face down we had computers off we had television off and it started out at about 7 p.m. in the evening and then we we bumped that down to 5 p.m. just to get more of the fast element in there yeah. um, so we so we would be left with our own thoughts longer and and yeah. with each other longer. Um, so that we'd have more to report on what the experience was like. Then the other thing that I did just personally, that that was in my home. The other thing I did personally was I turned off all notifications on my phone, except for if packages were being delivered that I needed to know about, and I didn't want them being <laughs> to get stolen. off the porch. Right, yeah. right. So the porch um, pirate, yeah, notification. porch pirate notifications. So, so I didn't get text notifications. Phone calls would come through, but they wouldn't buzz me if I missed one. 
You see what I'm saying? So I had no haptics. I had um, no texts were coming through. I wasn't getting sports updates or anything yeah. like that. I had, you know, my phone couldn't grab my attention at all. That now, was one of my forms Now I know why you didn't respond to my text. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's yeah. not the reason he was yeah, responding yeah, right. to text. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... So let's talk just for a second about how did that? How did your own tech, fa- tech hmm. fast hit you? What did you discover maybe about yourself in your tech fast that surprised you or um, you didn't see coming? Gosh, so uh, kind of on different levels. Uh, the first couple of days were honestly, they didn't feel like a fast. It was very liberating feeling. Hmm. I felt like I had more time in my day. I felt less hectic. I felt more rested. Uh, we almost immediately, because once the once all screens were off by 10 p.m., I mean, we were in bed reading a book, falling asleep by, t- you know, 1030. Um, so we it made us go to bed earlier. Um, one thing I did notice was uh, about five days in got really hard just avoiding. Because, I mean, I haven't watched YouTube in 30 days, and that's probably the f- longest I've gone not watching YouTube in a long time. Because that's just kind of where all my entertainment and interest, you know, ends up taking me. Um, so that got, you know, just not using a screen got very difficult, especially by week three, about week three. And I don't know what science would or wouldn't back that up, but that's what felt the hardest. And I would notice myself walking around the house and I was like Bilbo in the beginning. Well, I, well, well, no, glazed expression on my face, muttering to yourself. Well, well, what I found was, cause I was supposed to leave my phone in the box, right? And right. I felt I found myself sort of like Bilbo in the Lord of the Rings where I would say, "Where's your phone?" "Oh, it's in the p- No, it's it's here in my pocket." Like yeah. I didn't even realize it was there, but my brain <laughs> yeah. was just like trying to keep it close. Like I just wanted to like the that, accidental the security blanket yeah, or whatever. It was so it was it was a lot of weird. So d- did it continue to get more irksome or did it was that kind of the peak and then it suddenly trailed off and got it, better the fourth the the last week which was interesting because that was when the ice happened mm-hmm. and except for one time when we played uh, a, a computer game across with my brother and his wife because we were all stuck in their houses and they wanted to interact with us except for that one little treat we gave ourselves that week we were stuck in the house for five days straight with nowhere to go no no responsibilities for the most part and no screens to alleviate that. And man, it was it was nice. It was weird. It was by the end of it, my desire for screens was definitely different. Not gone, but definitely different. So did you did you do more reading, more talking? What I read more. Um, we definitely we definitely talked more. So like one of the things that we both mentioned was the quality of our conversations uh uh, increased almost immediately not that we were just sort of blabbering Ignoring aimlessly yeah. yeah yeah but the, we found there were patterns where you would talk and then you'd reach that silence where you'd kind of run out of the things you expected to say and then you'd immediately go oh well let's go watch tv but without that off ramp you sort of just had to still sit there with each other and that's when real conversations would just sort of develop naturally. You'd just sort of bring something up that had been on your mind or you would uh, just sort of bring up random stuff that you had happened during your day and then that would spawn, you know, connection and and interaction. And it was was surprising how some of that worked out, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, I mean, we don't have to go in a circle. Yeah, we can. But Van, go ahead. Um, Yeah, I found it to be more freeing. 
um, because, I've, like I said, you, you develop habits of just roll out of bed and you just kind of click, see what's the daily headline, right? That's just a habit, whether good or bad, I've had developed. And um, what I found was when I was constantly doing that was when I came across stuff that was just frustrating or upsetting, hmm. uh, it set the tone for my day. And not even realizing it most of the time that it just kind of puts you in a particular mood and uh, that I think inhibited me from being uh, more free in my Mm. ability to think the way the Lord wanted me to about just anything. Mm. Um, And so getting away from that, um, like I said, it freed me up. It it wasn't dictating to me how my day would start. Mm. And it's kind of like what... um, in our book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, you know, I'm reading stories and headlines that, you know, when you see the content of it, you, you know, as a believer, you'd say, well, you ought to be upset about what's happened there. But then the question is, what are you going to do about it? It's halfway across the world or yeah. in another state. And I'm, you know, so uh, it allowed me to focus on the things I can control and what I, I ought to be about in, in my sphere of influence. And um, so it's, it's really eye opening in light of our. Uh, podcast we just did about um, how the things that we have, uh, whether on our phones or our computers, can sort of manage your time for you in a way that's not very beneficial, uh, or your mind space. And so I, yeah. it's it's kind of opened my eyes, made me more sensitive to uh, being a little more proactive. Don't don't just um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, carelessly go into. Let me just skim through my phone today, and you know, scrolling. Yeah, yeah. yeah understand what that can do to you. Right. You know, so right. uh, it's opened my eyes to see what what's happening in a way that maybe I didn't necessarily realize the degree to which it was happening before. It's really yeah. interesting that your one of your primary um, observations was emotional. One of the things mm-hmm. I noticed was my desire for my phone or my desire for just sort of browsing the web mm-hmm. came when I was most anxious or most stressed. So like yeah, after sure. a really long day, like yeah. at work or um, yeah. if if my day had sort of not gone the way I wanted, those were the days where I was like, man, I just want to turn my brain off. Yeah, it's and dopaminergic. It was, yeah. you're, you're looking for that dopamine hit when it you're was, stressed. Yeah, yeah, it was literally, I had no agenda. It was just, I needed that anesthetic. That sort of drug yeah, yeah. of, you know, sort of make me feel, you know. Yeah. You know, in The Shallows, better. he made the comment. If you guys Nicholas probably, Carr in The Shallows, the book, yeah. Yeah, that um, one of the things they observed when people had their phone maybe sitting close by, and even if it was on silent, and a phone call was coming in, their blood pressure spiked. Wow. When they yeah. weren't <laughs> able to reach across and answer it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Because they're thinking to themselves, well, who could it be? What's mm. that? Who's, kind of what's thing, going on? Right. There? Yeah. And, um, yeah. Interesting. So, wow. all right, pops, give us your observations, yeah. your own so, weird backward tech fast, yeah. <laughs> a tech a tech binge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> tech binge. Wow, that yeah. was only a he fraction of it. my time. So let me talk about the fasting portion first. First, actually, I do find periodically I'll get off, go on some errand, and I'll forget my phone and leave it at home, and uh, I always feel like I'm getting away with something, <laughs> like there's something yeah. vaguely. Uh, inappropriate about what I'm doing and that I shouldn't be having this much fun and freedom. Um, But um, anyway, um, so here's what I found. By turning off all the notifications, 
there was a very measurable improvement in my creative output mm. and my ability to learn. So it's weird, but over the last month, I've done I've done a huge amount of writing, and I've done a huge amount of learning some new stuff, particularly as it relates to technology-related stuff. I've done a real deep dive in some areas I needed to do for a long time, and I've sort of been telling myself I don't have time. But by turning off these notifications, I've been able to sustain my focus, uninterrupted focus, and learned a lot more. And really gotten a lot done over the last 30 days. So that's been really, really good. And I've written a whole lot of stuff that I've been needing to work on. And um, and so I'm just vastly more productive on cognitive, cognitively uh, laden activities. Mm. That's mm. been... so, And I think that's not some big surprise because... Um, Kyle, I made the point, I think, that context switching is expensive. Uh, maybe that was in the podcast we did on on the shallows, but the whole uh, idea of multitasking. Yeah. Yeah. And just shifting your attention from one thing to another, particularly in writing or in deep learning of some kind, uh, you know, re engaging with a complex context is takes time. And so if you jump out of it because your phone's saying, hey, you need to pay attention to this text and it's vibrating in your pocket or whatever, um, then to get back into it, you just lost a huge amount of time and momentum in your work because you got to re-engage and get back to the point where it's like, what was I saying here? Or what was this guy saying here? Mm -hmm. And so by turning off those distractions, I could sort of do an end-to-end -end focus on either what I was writing or what I was... Um, reading to learn and and uh it was just the velocity i guess of the pace of learning and writing was much more productive did so, you, so on the twitter side of things did your opinion of twitter change well after i'll, I'll a, tell you that in a minute but but i don't want before i shift to, i was i was gonna ask did you notice in addition to the velocity or quantity did you notice a difference in the quality of what you were producing uh, <laughs> i'm probably the worst person to ask that question um I, um, I, I, maybe, maybe more creative hmm. and expressive, uh, in some ways, but you know, people who read the stuff I write might have, might have a different opinion. I don't know. <laughs> um, so on Twitter, it was kind of interesting. Um, so I didn't put the Twitter app on my phone. I, I'm generally, I don't put apps on my phone for notification and nagging and tracking reasons. I just don't do that. Um, but I started using it. And so the first thing I realized when I got on Twitter, I mean, if you're a Twitter user, you're, you may laugh at this, but the first thing I realized is I wasn't following anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a big thing, you know? I mean, that's kind of what constitutes your newsfeed. And so the first thing I had to do is go figure out who in the world am I going to follow, <laughs> you know? And so I followed kind of this random hodgepodge of different people, uh, some writers that I'm interested in, you know, some... Um, some new news reporters that I might, or, or pundits or whatever that I might be interested in. So I followed all these people, you know, and then I started just, then my news feed started filling up with stuff, you know, and uh, the thing I noticed, my general impressions were, first of all, there's something about the combination of the uh, velocity of 
stuff going by on your news feed combined with the short character limitations of Twitter that makes the whole experience um, fragmented and um, scattered. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no, if you're following a wide variety of people, there's no themes sort of emerging in your news feed. It's just a bunch of short, bursty, random comments about whatever they're thinking about. And so mm-hmm. it, it sort of, I described it, I actually wrote a blog post about this. I described it as, it must, the Twitter news feeds must be the way people with ADHD experience the world. You know, yeah, I mean, it felt that way mm-hmm. yeah. to me. And the other thing that was the really most obvious is it's an unhappy place. Twitter's, <laughs> a, Twitter's an unhappy place. I mean, some of these people I followed, I mean, they would like wake up in the morning ready to get in a fight with someone, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. so there were these sort of dumb arguments always going on. Um, and weirdly enough, I wasn't paying attention to this at first because I'm an unsophisticated Twitter user. I don't know what you're supposed to pay attention to. But apparently you're supposed to pay, pay attention to how many people saw your tweet or whatever, you know, or retweeted it or whatever. <clears throat> and these dumb fights attract all the attention. So, so what that meant was that negativity bias is like dominating Twitter. It's people are drawn and some combination of attracted to and repulsed by leveraging the, the, the negative engagement, you know, the negativity bias. And so just the unhappiness, the contentiousness, the negative things that seem to dominate people's minds that they wanted to post, that they that motivated them sufficiently to post about something, mm-hmm. all of that just came across to me like, it, plus the velocity and the short sort of un, snarky, I mean, it encourages snarkiness at some level. Um, that all was very off-putting to me. And then when you add on to that the fact that even some of these people that you would think would know better um, were would talk openly about, ha, 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 I got this many views or whatever, you know, like that was a big deal to them to sit around and count how many people were looking at what you were saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, w- that seemed like I would be embarrassed. If I, th- if I even thought that, I would be embarrassed to say it out loud w- for everybody to look at. You know, mm. I would, that would be one of those things that's like, you know, I probably shouldn't be this way. I don't want to confess it to the <laughs> world or, and they're not even confessing, they're bragging about it. You yeah. know, right. um, that seemed embarrassing. Yeah. I mean, I was embarrassed for them. Mm. Uh, and then I kept being brought to mind, was it Paul's, um, what, did he say this to Timothy? You guys would, would be able to tell me, uh, don't involve yourself in meaningless arguments. Mm-hmm. Um, says it in several places. Yeah. Mm. So that. That just kept weighing on me. It's like every once in a while I'd find myself tempted. Well, I've got a comment to make about <laughs> that, know. you know. Yeah. And then I would think, why am I even getting involved in that? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's, so, it's such a waste. So did you notice that your own interactions on Twitter changed or evolved? Like, did you become a sophisticated Twitter user? No, I, I mean, I don't think <laughs> I ever became, not in a week. Uh, I, I, I did more learning about how, it, about the world of Twitter than I did actually I mean, I made very few comments or anything or original tweets or anything. I was mostly a lurker, you know, um, just kind of reading what's going by and seeing what people are about on Twitter. It, but it was, I found the whole thing, I mean, I can sort of understand the, the how you can get sucked into that 
in a way, mm-hmm. but um, I also felt like it was unhappy. Um, yeah, it seemed very unhappy and mm-hmm. and not something that I'm going to feel like. Oh, I want to keep being a Twitter user. You know, mm-hmm. I I mean, I'm not a Twitter user. I'm just sort of. I'm probably still following these people, but bless their hearts. You know, if they're worried about how many views they're getting, they're not going to get one. Do y'all do Twitter? Anybody? No, I don't do Twitter. I don't have not it. Yeah, I don't not, have it. Not for years. Hey, our Jeremy's producer, raising his hand. Our producer Jeremy is uh, the the Twitter the Twitterite of the of the crew, I guess. He's the one that counts how many people are following his tweets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, my own tech fast was kind of interesting. I had a work. Uh, context for my tech fast and a home context at home you know like I said we shut the TV down at a certain time and I remember we started on a Monday and um, Monday evening came around and we turned all the screens off and sat there and uh, and the funny <laughs> thing was silence. yeah and the funny thing was my dogs got real on edge that's funny they, they were looking at us and what kind are y'all of doing? walking around the house like what's going on are y'all about to go somewhere what's happening here you know so my dogs were really sort of hyper on edge what's happening in the house if the screens aren't on you know hmm. and uh so that was kind of an interesting phenomena r- right there off the bat to notice um but i will say so i wasn't necessarily making fresh tracks with my own tech fast i've done a tech fast before one summer my my wife and i uh when we just had a we didn't have our daughter yet we were um we did a television fast where we just unplugged we just cut the cable for an entire summer and I have more memories from that one summer together than I do from most other years together as a family, because when you don't have something to occupy your attention, you tend to spend more time with the people in your life. And that's something actually we can learn about our attention. You, you We are programmed to pay attention to the thing in the room that's changing, right? Mm. So when, when, when there's a television on, it it necessarily dominates our attention. You'll notice this even in a restaurant. You're sitting in a right. restaurant, and if there's a TV there, you might be prone to kind of stare up at the television um, because that's the thing in the room that's changing. And so that's just the way our minds... And I think, honestly, it, it, it's designed that way for a reason. Like, if you're sitting there at a campfire with somebody and suddenly you notice something on the periphery change, you look, it might be a bear. Right, right. Like, yeah. So Good reasons so, so for So there's that. a good reason for our attention to have... To, to, uh, to work this way. and um, But but when you turn that television off, it means that the people in the room become that thing that garners most of your interest. So I was prepared for that, but it was really cool to experience it again. We ended up, as a family, spending a lot more time visiting at first. Then we started dragging board games out and playing yeah. board games together. And um, we spent a whole lot more time together uh, and, and, you know, we're together watching TV, but we're not engaging yeah. mm-hmm. with each other. We spend a lot more time just engaging with one another. And, um, and I think that that's awesome. I think that that, uh, I would prefer that, you know, in the long run on the work side of things though, I had my phone set up was, I, you know, like I said, I had no notifications pinging me throughout the day. I had no vibrations in my pocket, none of that. So mm-hmm. the first few days of not having my phone, I was very very conscious of the fact that I had turned notifications off. Oh, I mean, yeah. my, my mind was sort of going, there's probably something happening in the ether sphere that, that, needs your attention. that needs my attention and I don't know what's happening. And so it was almost distracting Yeah, that I didn't have those notifications turned on. But within like two days, I would say, 
I, I just sort of fell into kind of what you described, Pops. I, I fell into this rapid, or not rapid, but hyper productivity mode hmm. where I could go hours just focusing on a task, whether that's sermon writing or planning or whatever the case may be, whatever it was, I could go hours on end and forget that there's another world out there that might be needing my attention. And then I would look at my phone and realize, pull it up, and I have to manually go into my text apps because I have multiple, and and look and see who's been talking. And I might be like three hours late to a conversation, you know. Right. Um, but what was cool about it was I really got kind of what you experienced. My mind, when it was freed up from that external control center that was constantly through haptics and whatever pinging me and nudging me to go into my phone and think about something else. My mind was freed up to just think and work and, and produce. And it was awesome. It was really awesome. But then, then something happened. I found myself, um, coming up with all kinds of excuses why I probably needed to watch that thing on YouTube. Yes. Right. Like you you started making excuses for yourself. So one of the things that happened is we got, you know, if you're listening to this later on, maybe you don't know or have forgotten that we had this m- massive ice storm that shut the city down. Kyle, you mentioned this. So um, we're, we were trapped in the house. Not only were we trapped in the house because of the ice, but we got violently ill. Three of us, my Oof. wife, myself, and my son, were violently ill during this span of time. But my daughter was not. And my daughter already lives life at about 130%. Right. And so we were at like 10%. She was at like 130%. And I decided I, I, I need to turn the TV on for her. Right. Yeah. Just, yeah. just so that I could convalesce a little bit. Um, yeah. so anyway, there was, there was that sort of interesting experience as yeah. well, but yeah, it was, it was an interesting. And, and it's interesting. You mentioned this idea of, you know, sort of the world outside of your awareness. It was kind of, weird sort of experiencing like i knew less about the news mm-hmm. i knew less about you know all the channels or things that i follow you know i wasn't up to date on things and at first that did give me some of that like oh no and then the longer it went on you kind of went the world's not exploding like my my ability to do yeah, my it's normal a, it's life a total illusion mm-hmm. my right. normal really life is. is moving by actually at a better pace than when I was aware of all these things. You know, I, I think that part of that phenomenon that we're taught, we're describing there is being, um, you know, news awareness has turned into a kind of virtue. Mm-hmm. And if you're not aware of what's happening in the news, you're it's, looked down. It's hip. At, yeah. Well, you're looked down on mm-hmm. almost as being irresponsible, mm-hmm. but it sort of begs the question, okay, what exactly van to your point, am I responsible for, with all of this knowledge mm-hmm. of what's happening in T- Tajikistan, you know, like what am I? Right. What am I going to do about it's it? It's only news because they call it news. It could just be information right. that has nothing to do with me. It's only news if it's actually important for me to know. So we all went on this tech fast. We went on our own little journey. Some of us did the exact opposite of a tech fast, but um, <laughs> did not understand and, and, and the came assignment. To, came to the right. I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've made a. I've worked missing the point of the assignment up into an entire field of expertise. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a group project. Someone turned into choose your own adventure. But, <laughs> um, but it, that's okay. So 
I, I think we, we all kind of experienced at different levels the hold that tech has on our lives. And when you, part of the fun of a tech fast is when you remove it from your life, you really feel the hooks that it has in you in, in weird ways. You can, it, it, they become all the more obvious. And each of us chose a form of tech fast that I think we felt already it might have a hook at us. So we were sort of already cognizant of the areas in which our tech use may have been becoming habitual or uh, a, a, a dominating or controlling influence in our lives. And we kind of we kind of went there with our tech fast first, which is good. I think that, that says something about who we are. But here's the question I'd like to to ask. In light of the tech fast and in light of all that we've studied in this man versus machine series and discussed, um, what do you think concerns you most about the current landscape of tech usage in the world today? And and obviously, yeah. we so, could go to AI, right? Artificial intelligence is right. certainly concerning, but let's, you know... Keep it to the real practical everyday. Right. One landscape. of the one of the things that we're worried are happening to the people we know right. based on their use of technology. Yeah. Because I, I mean, like I could fast from artificial intelligence, <laughs> but that wouldn't be much of a fast. It'd be like me fasting from broccoli. Yeah. That happens all by itself. Yeah, I've been fasting from my own intelligence for quite some time. Right. Yeah. So I I think um, I think we. We have made a gigantic mistake as a society and as a country um, in letting uh, any non-adult have access to social media. Mm -hmm. I think um, social media is more proven to be more dangerous to young people than alcohol. Mm -hmm. And yet we put an age limit on alcohol, but we have no age limit on social media. And I think we need to seriously think about precluding any access to social media for anyone under 21, you know, you know, worst case 18, but I'd prefer 21. Um, it's harmful, especially to adolescent females, but mm -hmm. to everyone really. I mm -hmm. mean, if you combine the effects of porn on young men with the social contagion and contributing to depression and, um, self-hatred that mm. happens with adolescent females and social uh, media contexts. I think it's just bad for everybody. Mm. Yeah. And so I think that's a, that's a huge negative. I mean, there's all kinds of studies that exist and are emerging about the destructive effects of this on young people. And I think we should outlaw it. Yeah. You made the comment earlier about your experiment with uh, Twitter and yeah. this must be how people with ADD uh, yeah. view, see the world. My question is, has, you know, things like the net and social media uh, created ADD in people? It's not like they came to already having it, but it developed ADD within their minds. And so I'm, my concern is what kind of people are we producing in light of these technologies? Um, you know, we, yeah. we talk about how hard it is or what we observe. <clears throat> Kyle, you may be able to comment on this a little bit too but you know um one of my daughters you know she is scrolling through instagram you know at home just a friend or something she's following but i before i said something to her about it, i just noticed that it's just i mean forever and i'm like what are you looking at for so long she goes oh i'm just following so you need to 
let's just put it down, you know, because it, it's not good for you. Number one, just have your eyes on that for so long. And I said, mm-hmm. and plus, there's other things you can do. I've only been on it for a few minutes. It wasn't a few minutes. I, I knew it wasn't a few minutes. But my, what I think is happening is it's very hard for them to engage in any kind of meaningful conversation or even look you in the eye because they become very, um, yeah. you know, you made a comment about you and Emily with your fast. You sat there and you, for a little while, you're having to work it. What do we say to each other? So, you know, but. so Nicholas Carr in his book, The Shallows, actually talks a little bit about this idea that even our emotional, even our nobler emotional responses like empathy, sympathy, yeah. compassion, yeah. some of these things that we would say are very human responses to things like suffering or relationships, those actually take time to be developed and reacted to. Mm. So if we're if we're on these quote social media or even just any platform where we're being distracted constantly it short circuits our ability to have our more nobler emotions and mm-hmm. so I, I I wonder if it's like those are muscles yeah that yeah. have to be developed and and so I do wonder how many of us have actually shrunk our muscle to use your word uh, of having real connective responses to other people mm-hmm. because we're mediating those interactions through some of these tools. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're, we know that's true in the developing youth. They're yeah. we're developing a generation of sociopaths. Of sociopaths because yeah. we're reducing their ability to have empathy. Even just to your point, the, the observation of eye contact um, has made it to where it's harder for them to relate to the other person as a person. And I don't, you know, I, I, I hesitate sometimes to say that these things, it's like, well, you know, the youth are the ones doing this to themselves. In some way, that's correct. But in other ways, we gave them these tools that are so overpowered. It's like we put, it's like we put kids in a cage with a rabid dog and then said, well, why didn't they know how to make it sit? It's like, well, because we put them in there with that thing that they had no ability to control. Well, it's like, it was going to eat them. We, we don't give kids credit cards. Yeah. Because we don't we, give them power saws. Yeah, because we know, know yeah. that we know that they lack the maturity to to yeah. draw some of those lines for themselves. And that's just true of childhood. Yeah. I think As I think a, to your point is like, I, and I know I've heard you say this before, yeah. there's a lot of adults who are yeah. more addicted to tech than even kids are. But I guess my point is, you know, there's a there's a uh, maturity point that you wait to reach so that you can make the best possible decisions for yourself. Right. We've not ass- assigned any of that to. Oh yeah, tech. absolutely. Well, and two, we we're mediating these relationships online through these tools, and then what happens is it forces us to mediate those relationships differently when we are in person. So what's interesting mm-hmm. is my observations about the television. Something I do with uh, I watch with my wife change the interactions I had with my wife when we weren't watching television. I think that's something we I had to wrestle with, and I think a lot of us need to wrestle with more, is we sort of go, oh, I'm a bad person on social media, or I don't become the best version of myself when you're in the internet. No, 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 no. Whatever person you're becoming because of your interactions with technology is the person you now always are. And so we need to take responsibility for that. So, so that actually hits on one of my great concerns for the current climate of tech usage um, in our culture. And this is a phenomenon that was discussed in the shallows and in amusing ourselves to death. Tech comes with its own ethic. And so mm. um, it creates a certain kind of mind. The tools we use will create a particular kind of mind. And then that mind becomes a particular kind of society 
or a culture. And so in the same way that television had created this sort of entertainment dominated, obsessed culture, um, we could talk about Twitter society or Facebook culture and, um, you know, Twitter's ethic. You talked about this a little bit ago, Pops. You talked about that being a sad place. Yeah. <laughs> well, in some ways, I think it's turned society into a sad place. Um, you know, it's it's obscene, competitive, polarizing, um, lacking in any argumentative nuance. It's all in 140 characters or less or whatever it is. And I don't know what the limit is now. Um, but... But I think what that creates is some of that mindset is spilling into our homes. And so we've got polarized yes. families and polarized churches, and we don't, we don't have the ability to think deeply or well or in any nuanced, complex way about hard issues. And so we tend to think in headlines or in short, pithy bites or bumper sticker politics or theology rather than— Yeah, and we have the entertainment side of that coin— the entertainment side of our devices that are allowing us to uh, numb us to those conflicts when we don't want to deal with them. So we go 100 miles an hour destroying relationships and building division and 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 disconnecting from each other. And then whenever it gets too much, we run off and we numb ourselves with yeah. entertainment so that we don't deal with the problems we're creating. Well, there, there's also this, you know, and it's, it's along these lines uh, – we talk about social media and the internet in general, communication technology, we'll call it. Communication technology as yeah, sure. the conquering of time and space. Because you can talk with anyone instantaneously anywhere in the world. Um, but there's a sense in which time and space is good for us. Um, it's good to be in your time and in your space. That local um, involvement is good for us. And I think in some ways even creates necessary boundaries for us. So... Um, there, there, I think that there really is a sense in which a bad idea in the old world would have had to work really hard to make its way mm. out of its own town, or certainly would have had to work really hard to make it all the way to a publisher, right? But today, sure. you can blast anything online, and you know, there's this old expression that the lie can get halfway around the world before the truth can put its boots on. Um, well, now it's like the the lie can own the hearts and minds of the entire world before the truth can put its boots on. Right. Well, you can think about the, the TikTok challenges that are put out there today. The most recent that I've heard about are go into a store or any building and start a fire in the bathroom. And people read this, and sure enough, I've read multiple stories of, of the people that have followed up. The, on, the Walmart buyer house is exactly yeah. what happened here, yeah. The Kia Hyundai challenge. Hey, we can show you how to steal a car because there was a – something they overlooked and when they put these certain year models out and sure enough the thefts on those just skyrocketed instantly and so yeah yeah that social contagion is is real it's not just in in uh you know we hear about it in certain categories but yeah. it, it exists in every category and and that's something where i worry about the way that we sort of outsource our influence by doing these things so you mentioned keith that you sort of showed up on twitter and realized Oh, the, my job is to follow people. Yeah, which is a really funny like to show up at a at a at a meeting and go. Oh, I need to figure out who I'm listening to. You know, that's a weird, yeah. a weird place to find yourself. We do that with all of these technologies. We go. Oh, I want to give someone some influence over my attention and over my mind and over my heart. Instead of saying, who do I already know in my life that should exert more influence on me? What about my pastor? What about my parents? What about my spouse? What about, you yeah, know, my... Yeah, the authorities and institution God's ordained for you rather than... Right. 
and that are just and that actually have an investment in you yeah so this is uh, i was sitting here thinking about this very thing and it's a little bit of a different direction i want to say one thing responsive to something kyle was saying and you've been about sort of how online environments encourage a certain amount of social pathology and expressing and a lack of empathy and a lot of these other things you know if you understand autism as you know across a spectrum of symptoms that one of the symptoms is lack of an ability to pick up on social clues and lack of a sensitivity to social concerns in a sense these environments encourage us kind of to be socially autistic mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. It, it's it it's harmful in that way and that's not to belittle anybody who's got a natural autistic challenge but just to say you don't want to encourage that you know right. and and the other people but the other thing i was going to say was about this whole thing of attention you know i've thought a lot about this um there's a growing problem i think in which more and more uh people don't have interests outside of themselves mm-hmm. and um and have an outward focused interest if you look at what happened in the garden the very first thing God had him, Adam do was take an interest in the other animals. He had him name them. Right? And, and Focus the garden, on that. Yeah, I mean, even the and garden And then he itself, turned and yeah. said, oh, and by the way, it, we, we a lot in Christian circles, we'll, we'll focus on, well, we, we, work is good. Right. And, and all that's correct. True. But also, work is involved in taking an interest outside of your, in something outside of yourself. Right. Um, there's a great book called Life at the Bottom by Theodore Dalrymple. I think I maybe mentioned it in this podcast series before. Um, and he talks about the social pathologies that happen in inner city urban areas in England. He's a psychiatrist, and he treats people. And routinely, one of the challenges of the people he treats, who whose lives are in a mess and who themselves are in a mess and all this stuff, is that they don't have any interests outside of themselves. And he'll bring this up with them, and they'll say, well, how do I develop interests? You know, I mean, they've they've gone through school and they've gotten all the way through school and they don't have anything that draws them beyond things like, you know, the latest fight on social media. They they only care about themselves. And, you know, if you look at old TV shows, you know, Ben and I have talked about this before. If you watch something like My Three Sons or... Leave it to Beaver. Particularly or the these, first couple seasons. Yes. Of yeah. These boys were interesting because they were constantly involved in some project that rebuilding didn't have anything to do with or, reflecting on their feelings. Yeah. Right? They were rebuilding engines for cars or they were trying to create a business so they could buy a car or, or building a go-kart or trying to fix the family stereo themselves by pulling the guts out and messing with the electronics. And, you know, I mean... This it, it's striking to watch these shows and see how these kids were spending their time. They had this huge interest in things outside of their own uh, mind. Uh, it was interested in things for their own sake, mm-hmm. and I think that's something else that's uh, undermined. Yeah. I think human flourishing. If we want to be uh, successful on almost any term particularly as men, but even beyond that, we have to learn to develop an interest in things that are not just about the way we feel in our in our hearts. You know, we can't sit around gazing at our navels. We have to develop a genuine interest in things in the world around mm-hmm. us mm-hmm. that that are productive and useful and practical and create value and yeah. 
and these kinds of things. And, and a I lot think, of this tech sort of forces us into a uh, self-reflective um, yeah. state of mind perpetually. It's like you can't escape either it. that or entertained, right? right? Entertained, yeah. It's dissipating, yeah. right? Right. Yeah, but even the entertainment is creating the illusion that all of these entertainment sites and people are there for you and it's all about you and you're the yeah. center of this digital universe and everyone's waiting to hear your tweet yeah you know and man if you just <laughs> really? left the internet what will we all do with ourselves yeah but it's like that's not in some ways i think it's our culture needs to remember how to be forgotten that might be a good test for some of us to just go you know what i don't need people to notice me for a while that might well, be a really good yeah so we could talk about yeah that's an interesting comment to make kyle I've thought for a long time that there's another way to understand the art, you know, the turning of abortion into a virtue in our times. And it's that we don't, we are so desperate to hang on to our place mm. and our time in this world. We've mm. lost sight of our connection to the generations, whether that's to yeah. history or posterity. Um, and so we've got this contemporary arrogance and bias and anything, whether it's history or posterity, becomes a threat to me in my moment. And so we, well, and we the, want to terminate the, those the, things. I mean, you can see the practical effects of this in democratic demographic collapse in the West. We're mm, right. way below replacement levels right. in yeah. population and birth per per woman right. in the culture. We're, we're shrinking. Right. Even the Chinese, you know, by their own sort of absurd malevolent actions are shrinking yeah um and it you know as someone i think it's mark stein who says the future belongs to those who show up yeah, yeah. well there's a there's yeah. a there's a guy at a seminary i i knew who had developed this he'd he'd taken it from someone i don't remember who but the philosophy of life he developed was very pithy he just said preach the gospel die and be forgotten and it's this really powerful statement of, to your point, Keith, I have a very vested interest in something far beyond myself. My, however temporary my existence is, however much good I can do is not about me. It's actually about something bigger. Yeah. And that kind of courage and conviction is really, really necessary. It's something we need to cultivate. All right. So here's what I think we should do at this point. Um Let's talk about some of the conclusions maybe we've come to in our own tech fast. So we've observed the effect that it had on us. Let's talk a little bit about the conclusions we might have come to and maybe reflect on, is there any aspect of your tech fast you'd like to carry forward? And maybe it won't be as extreme or whatever, or maybe it will be. Maybe you want to be more extreme in your tech fast moving forward, whatever that might be. But come to some of the conclusions. Um, let's reflect on that a little bit and see see maybe where our hearts have aligned on this in our own worlds and um, go from there. Yeah. Anyone start who wants be, to? I'd say, you know, considering the fact that I'm accountable before the Lord for my own actions, my thoughts, uh, my words, spoken or unspoken, <laughs> right? Um, and seeing the effect that some of that uh, habit had created to me. Um, again, I, I always feel like I need to preface this. I'm, I'm, I'm not somebody, and maybe it says, well, it goes without saying, but never been given over to saying profane things or profanity or anything like that. But I, I found in myself, you know, you read some of these headlines, especially as it relates to how our country is being run. 
and I'm not a big political guy or anything like that, but I found myself instead of praying for my leaders, you know, making remarks in my heart about them, just like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was, I was doing the counter of what scripture taught me to do. Mm-hmm. And so, <clears throat> you know, if I'm going to be obedient to the Lord in my walk, I, I need to tame this habit or remove it uh, whenever I sense these things controlling me more than I realized they were as far as setting the tone for my day or a mood, you know, that just, it's just not what Christ is wanting to develop in me. And so, um, again, I'm not trying to paint a picture that this is all the time kind of stuff, but just the ability that it has in a moment just to affect you in a way that is not productive or fruitful for the life of a believer, I thought, you know, it's 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 each of our responsibility to make sure we're keeping those things in check. Mm-hmm. And so, um, anyway, I think that's just one impact it's had on my thinking and and how I need to understand, you know, things like this. Um, yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. So I'll have one really simple thing, and then one kind of more a, a larger takeaway that that we've done in the Wisdom House. So the first one was about halfway through. I turned the phone screen to black and white, grayscale. Really simple thing I did. Uh, you, you have to kind of dig for it. It's in the accessibility. Uh, it's it's built, I believe, for those who have uh, colorblindness of some sort. Um, but I turned my phone black and white, and so everything on is black and white. Surprisingly, makes it surprisingly easy to reduce the amount of time you just stare at it because it's just – one, a little harder to read, and two, it's not got all the flashy, blinky, beautiful colors and things to watch, and so it kind of just looks like a boring old newspaper, <laughs> and so I don't, and so I don't read it. Um, and so that that was kind of an easy thing to just sort of start yeah, out that's, with. That's clever. And then uh, the big thing is uh, there was a I actually talked to some parents in youth a while back, and there was a book we were studying called Navigating Our Digital World, and they suggested making a family tech covenant. Where your family sort of sits down and actually writes out what you believe about the, your family, what it's for, what you believe about technology, what it's for, and then sort of the household rules about technology. And so uh, I drafted one of those, and Emily and I have kind of talked about it, and uh, our goal this week is to sort of get it up and running. And it's going to be very similar to what our, our actual tech fast was. Mm-hmm. So we're going to mostly keep screen entertainment out of the house during weekdays. Um, we're going to call it Friday a weekend cause that's yeah. kind of one of those things. Yeah, um, yeah. but we, uh, we're going to, we're going to keep the phone home. We call it ET now cause the ET, uh, the phone goes home. Um, <laughs> but, uh, we, we're going to keep our phones out of our pockets when we can. So a lot of that's actually going to stay, which I was very surprised by. I thought it was mostly going to go back to quote normal. Yeah. Yeah. I guess define normal. I forgot to add that in light of just learning from my brothers here that I'm going to add Twitter to my pursuits. Yeah, then, yeah. Well, <laughs> that was, that was what I was hoping everyone would yeah. take from my company. A lot of Keith's uh, encouraging yeah. words today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, you know, one of the things I forgot to report on in, in my experience with the Tech Fast, we, my wife and I, and, and it's even sort of impacted our kids, we keep very different hours. I, I, yeah. I had to develop... Um, over the course of my life and early to bed, early to rise, keeps a man healthy, wealthy, and wise sort of mentality because um, 
because of seminary and work. And if I was going to be productive, I couldn't stay up till all hours of the night and sleep in. I had to go to bed and get up. And the earlier you get up, by the way, the earlier you go to bed. So like, <laughs> yeah. you don't have Works to work hard at going to bed when you're getting up super early. But what I was, my, my wife, on the other hand, she tends to stay up later. She'll watch shows. And my son now is staying up later with my wife and they'll watch old mystery shows or something like that. And then they'll sleep a little bit later in the morning. I, I, I go to bed at the same time as my four-year-old. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so here's what's funny. Because I was, you live life at 130% like <laughs> I live life at 130%. Yeah. No. So, so one of the things that I was curious about going into it was what would happen to circadian rhythms mm-hmm. when we turn screens off in the evening. And lo and behold, my wife and my wife and son started going to bed earlier and getting up earlier. They started getting sleepier when the sun went down, and they started waking up when the sun came up. Right, um, and so I think there was something healthy just in rediscovering those natural circadian rhythms and not allowing the screen to dominate your eyesight and your mind space late into the evening. And people do talk about how blue light and screen time in the evenings contributes to greater levels of anxiety and depression and all those kinds of things. So, mm-hmm. so there was all that that we we sort of found helpful. Yeah. Uh, but I'll, I'll say to you, with you, Kyle, that that there is there was something we rediscovered in just the quality of our time together in the evenings when we pushed the screens to the periphery and we said it's not going to dominate our attention spans yeah. that that we don't want to lose and our our so we're going to have to kind of think through um what those rules will be and what the boundaries yeah. will be on that it'll be kind of similar to yours the weekends will be a little looser in terms of yeah. you know what we're doing but then during the weekdays i want to i want to make sure we have screenless time in the home. You know, it's really interesting. Just a, a small note on that. One of the things I noticed was because we weren't watching a, a story together or we weren't engrossed in all these stories, we started becoming storytellers. Hmm. So if if we were reading books apart, we would spend time recapping the books we were reading to each other. You won't believe what happened in and, my uh, book. Yeah, yeah, so I would, I would keep up with the story yeah. she was reading or I learned so much more about her day because – we became the most interesting storytellers in the room. Right. Yeah, and that was kind of an interesting twist on the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm definitely leaving notifications in the rearview mirror. Yeah. I would have second um, that. I would uh, second that. I'm not going to put myself back in a position where my phone or any other uh, tech decision is determining where I focus my attention. I want my attention focused to be my choice hmm. and not my reaction. And I think that's yeah. a big lesson for me. Um, I think I'll get a lot more done. I also think um, uh, I think it's just not in the cards for me to become a big Twitter user. <laughs> uh, there's just something, Alas. and maybe you know, maybe if I were younger, that would seem like more of a temptation. I don't know, but it's just not. I mean, the unhappiness of it, the the frenetic. Um, manic sort of environment that it seems comes across to me as is just not appealing at all. Now, maybe I just followed all the wrong people, you know, and that there's <laughs> there's people I could follow that it's just a, a reasonably paced message of sweetness in life. But, <laughs> um, if, but I didn't stumble across those people. Well, I can, <laughs> I, I can just say as a young guy. I have no temptation toward Twitter. Yeah. So. As a young guy, yeah. yeah. If you do say so, we're really stretching the definition <laughs> yeah. down here. Um, 
And the, the last thing I would say is um, I need to, so I, I'm, a, I'm, you know, late in life, I'm actually raising a, a youngster. And I think, you know, there's a lot that we need to reconsider about the presence of the screen in our home generally. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really talking about, he doesn't have internet access or anything like that. But, um, but we, we probably spend more time with the TV running than we really should. Mm-hmm. And I probably should be a lot more intentional about um, orienting his focus away from entertainment and toward developing interests for their own sake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so I read a book not long ago. Well, kind of long ago, maybe four or five years ago. But anyway, it was by a guy named Tim Wu. It's called The Attention Merchants. And it's it's a fine book. It's just about how we in our modern day time have created an entire economy out of uh, attention domination. We've marketed eyeballs and ears um, rather than actual goods and, and things. So most of our economy, I guess, runs on advertising and stuff like that. That's kind of what his book was about. But there's a quote by a guy, a philosopher named William James at the beginning of the book, and it said, I'm going to paraphrase the, the quote here, but he said, um, at the end in the final analysis, your life will equal whatever you paid attention to, whether by choice or by default. And I, I think that that is so true. And I've, I think that most of us, tech uses the kind of thing we'd really rather not have to think about. We'd kind of like to just sort of free float through our tech dominated world and, and go into it whenever we have the inclination, you know? And so what I've learned though through the tech fast, not just this one, but other ones that I've done is um, if you're, if you're going to the television willy nilly, anytime the inclination hits, if you're going into your phone willy nilly, anytime the inclination hits. um, And I don't really know how to define willy nilly, but I think you know what I mean. Uh, So, but if, if we're doing it absentmindedly, then guess what? It is controlling you. It is designed to do it. And it is controlling. You are either... So there's this old expression, um, and now suddenly I can't remember the origin of this quote. Oh, it's going to bug me. Anyway, the quote is this, be killing sin or it will be killing you, right? John Owen, yeah. John Owen, there it is. So so you could say it this way as well, with as far as our tech goes, be controlling your tech or it will be controlling yeah. you. Yeah. There is... There is no middle ground, and I know we'd like to think that there is, but there isn't. You are either setting boundaries intentionally and deliberately and holding to those boundaries, or your tech is controlling your life. There's no other alternative. Other thoughts from you guys before we wrap this conversation up? Yeah, I think when we look at technology, we need to remember that technology is changing uh, well, the the book The Shadows we talked about, he, he put it a little bit like this. Um, in the end, we come to pretend that the technology itself doesn't matter. It's how we use it. That's what matters, we tell ourselves. The implication, comforting in its hubris, is that we're in control. But the point he's trying to make is that the technology is the way we're seeing the world. The technology is the way that we're listening to the world. The technology becomes our eyes and our ears. And so it's going to shape our relationships. It's going to shape... Uh, even our understanding of ourselves. One of the one of the things that f- freaked me out the most about this whole thing was, I was allowing 
these tools to teach me and tr- teach me about myself and to even relate to myself and my emotions and my thoughts. And to yeah. Keith's point, I would rather have that be under my control because I would like to place myself under the uh, instruction of the Lord and not under the instruction of Google or, or, or ad campaign managers. I would, I would like to be able to say that uh, I love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. Hey, here's another thought, um, because the conversation hasn't gone on long enough already. But there was this moment in Frankenstein where it described Victor Frankenstein, the scientist, uh, uh, sort of just getting lost in his own pursuit of ambition, creating this monster. And the, the way that Mary Shelley describes it is he becomes so obsessed, he becomes sick and antisocial and he even lost the ability to notice the changing of the seasons and mm. kind of like video gamers kind of like video gamers kind <laughs> oh, of like sorry. yeah 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 kind of like anyone who anyone who's obsessed and and so so sort of bound up in their phone or their screen that they've yeah. they've lost sight of all that the world has to offer them and i guess i what would it just means say to be human. yeah, yeah. I, I think i would say it, when you put those boundaries on your tech usage you we've described this yeah. We discover all of the joy and the delight of being human, of yep. of being in relationships. And like I even started, I didn't say this, but I started taking walks outside. Hmm. We have a nature trail behind our house. And I mean, like I had nothing else to do. And so why not take that walk? Right. And I, hmm. I left my phone at home. Yeah. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. It was and, awesome. and I would say, too, uh, for, as a challenge for the listener if you do not think you're obsessed with tech, if you think you're one of those people, this is not the conversation for you. My challenge would be, uh, I'm not saying even start a, start a tech fast. I'm saying to decide whether you need a tech fast, just forget your phone for 24 hours. Throw it in a box and walk away from it for 24 hours and tell me you're not obsessed with it. If you can say that honestly at the end, then maybe yeah. you don't need a tech fast. It, it, has, but, you, it has you in one way or the other. Dep- yeah. It just depends on how. Yeah. Yeah, I would just say that, you know, uh, be prepared to um, give a defense maybe toward those that are going to think you're strange and out of touch for what you're doing. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Within your family and uh, and then for friends that you're trying to help them see, look, this is what I've discovered. Uh, this is what the Lord's showing me. Um, it's kind of what Peter says, you know, uh, we'll get to this later in our study in First Peter, but... People think it's odd that you don't plunge into the ruin and sin that they're engaged in when the Lord has called you out of this yeah. kind of life, right? People and thought so, I was real weird when I got off social media a few years yeah, ago, yeah. but it's one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. And if people are honest, if they take the challenge, you know, they'll say, wow, if it, you're right. That's yeah. true. I discovered this myself. I'll tell a very quick story. Um, my next door neighbor, we were out of town on vacation, and apparently a windstorm came through, blew the side of our fence down. It's at the time we still had a chocolate lab in our backyard, and anyway, she she had my phone number, and she's uh, and we had, I mean, maybe seen each other once. I just said, hey, we're gonna be out of town. If you see my pull up in our driveway, just know that it shouldn't be happening, kind of thing, so you can get in touch with me. Well, so she texts me and says, hey, the fence blew down, your dog's in our backyard, and I said, I'm so sorry. Um, and she said, oh, don't worry about it. I mean, we love dogs, and she's so sweet, and I'll feed her and all this kind of stuff, you know. And uh, so we were gone for another four or five days, and she's texting me every day. Just, oh, we love, you know, uh, Gracie so much. She's such a sweet dog. And so I got back and I'm like, well, I'm going to take a chance to go talk to her and, and get to know her better because we hadn't had a chance to do that. So I knock on the front door, and she barely cracks it open and said, hey, just thank you so much for um, – 
watching after the dog. She goes, okay, you're welcome, and shuts the door. I'm like, what happened to the big bubbly conversation we were having over ties? I'm like, what in the world is going on here? And she is, she's just like, she is a completely different person on, on, you know, text or social media than in person. And so it just, it's just a reminder of. She, she might have been surprised to find that the dog was owned by Goliath. <laughs> she's seen me before. What yeah. that was about. The, yeah. Nephil, the Nephilim showed yeah. up at her doorstep. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. No. Uh, but anyway, it just, it kind of. In light of our conversation today, yeah. it kind of jumped yeah. out, you know. I, I, you know, you, your comments, Van, made me think of not about the dog and the ridiculous story about your bubbly texting. <laughs> not ridiculous. Why is my story ridiculous? Story, but Twitter's okay. Well, it's a great story, Van. I think this is Breaking a particular down challenge. Between people. Doing something that's countercultural with technology is a challenge for families. And yeah. this was, um, I think, and we we're called as believers to live in community with other people. Our our church family needs to be more than passing acquaintances that we see on Sundays, right? Mm-hmm. We should be in doing life together, and um, and so I think particularly for families with young people uh, who may be engaging at some level with technology, I and I think families are going to have to have open and honest conversations with each other and kind of covenant together on uh, on cultivating a culture within their church community for how they're going to navigate this and yeah. and establishing some shared ground rules and values and and just having the the courage even to have difficult conversations uh, so that you can be in real relationship and community and everyone's not look, looking over their shoulder all the time about what their kids might be exposed to in another Christian's house um, where you'd like to have this free flow of relationship, but you know this can, this can become a thorny uh, mm-hmm. point of division if mm-hmm. people aren't careful. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Guys, thanks for doing the Tech Fast with us. Thanks for... Or the tech binge, depending on how you approach the experiment. <laughs> a little of both. <laughs> yeah. But I appreciate it. And I hope, I really do hope that it's encouragement to the, it's possible. Yeah. If nothing else, consider it is possible to, to put serious limits on your tech usage and reap real benefits. I don't think any of us walked away going, boy, that really cost me in some valuable ways. And I, you know, I can't wait to get more tech in my life. Yeah. I'm going to carry four phones now. Yeah. You know? Like that wasn't anyone's conclusion here. So um, if we just have to, let me just say real quick, you know, with this whole balloon incident with China recently, um, some, I was listening to some military analysts and they were saying, you know, some were thinking this may be a dry run uh, to drop some electromagnetic pulse device. And so I was going to ask Keith and we don't have to answer this in, on live in our podcast here, but they were saying if they did do something like that, they were saying it could cripple us f- for up to a year. And so in light of this, our reliance on technology and, and viewing it as it's a must in order to survive and operate, what would you do if it was all wiped out for a year? How Could you make it? Could you? What would you depend on in light of an event like that? You know, We don't even know how to where eggs yeah. come from like <laughs> there's an egg shortage and no one's yeah. thought to go get chickens yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. they're they're those powder powder box things right you just right. sort of mix it so anyway right. just food for thought the thing you depend yeah. on i think yeah. yeah i think for a lot of us we th- we are a little bit like the israelites 
wandering away from Egypt, and we're sort of looking back at all that technology we're leaving behind, and we're sort of going, man, we weren't as hungry with <laughs> Google around, right? And it's like, do you not see the beautiful gifts that God has in store for you outside of that? I think that's what we can all look forward to. Yeah, go find out. We should all want to live life outside the Google plantation. Yeah. This has been another Faith and Culture Conversation, a ministry of Lake Ridge Bible Church. You can join the conversation by emailing us at faithandculture at lakeridge.org. Special thanks to Jeremy Wilkerson for producing. <laughs>